I've been reading through the book of Isaiah in my personal quiet time, and what's so interesting to me about the book of Isaiah is God's overwhelming grace in the Old Testament. The people of Isaiah's day had become so wicked that at the beginning of the book of, God, of Isaiah, God says, I can't punish you anymore. I can't discipline you anymore. There's no, I there's no more punishment to come to you. I've done it all, and you're just not listening. And so then God brought judgment. He allowed the city of Jerusalem to be wiped out, the nation to be carried away captive. In other words, the discipline wasn't working, so all that was left was judgment. And, and the goal of it was not judgment itself, but the goal of it was to get his people to return to him. And so what's amazing in the book of Isaiah is it's this book that was written around a time when God's people were very hard-hearted and God's judgment was coming, and yet all through the book is a promise of renewal, a promise of restoration, a promise of hope, God's goodness, God's heart for his people, God saying, I will walk with you, I will be with you, you are mine, all through the book. It's just been so amazing to me as I've read through that, seeing that over and over again. And one of the themes in those promises of renewal is God saying that he will do a new thing. There is this promise of God saying, I'm going to bring a stream in the wilderness. I'm going to do a new thing in your midst, and it's going to be done in such a way that you will know it is of me. Now, we know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that God's word is settled. There are some things that are unchanging. But as we see in Scripture, the way that God moves in his people, the things that God calls his people to do are rarely the same because God does not want us to trust in programs or methods, but to look to him and to trust in him. And so there's this great theme in the Scripture of God doing a new thing, of God bringing about a new work, and that work being so different, it's described as a stream in the wilderness to where only God could receive the credit and the glory for it. I've titled today's sermon, Reimagined, Reimagined, because I believe that God is doing a new thing in the life of the local church. COVID is not on the throne, King Jesus is. And so King Jesus uses even COVID to receive glory to his name. Now, if we talk about the church, the local church, man, there are so many things that I'm proud of our local church for. I mean, we had Justin Hayes here not that long ago and supporting the fostering collective of East Texas. And even in the midst of, of COVID and many of you struggling financially, we gave a very generous offering to that ministry. We have some of our deacons that are going and serving at the Sunshine Lighthouse. We have acts of service going on. You're, you're looking out after one another. And, and there's so much good that is going on in that area and things that were going on before COVID. But on the other side, if you look at the church in America overall, and I talked about this some last week. I'm coming back around to it for a purpose. The church in America is in a decline. If you're in a church that is growing, you're in the minority. That's in the United States of America. Studies have shown over and over again that those who say they're Christians and attend church read their Bibles less and less. Let me put that in perspective. God has spoken. God has revealed himself through his word. We understand this, right? His word is true. 
But people who call themselves Christians say, I don't have enough time to read my Bible. And that's happening more and more. What's really being said is, I don't have enough time to pursue God. Because of that, divorce in the church is the same percentage as those outside of the church. Because of that, those addicted to pornography and secret sin are the same as those outside of the church. And what has happened is, while the church is doing a lot of good things, the best thing, the most important thing, the commission that our master gave us to go and make disciples, we're not doing that. We're not really making disciples. We're building social clubs that cater to people, and oh, we better not make that person too mad or they'll leave. That's not the church. And after five years of knowing me, you should know I'm not a country club president. I am a captain of a battleship seeking and saving the lost, okay? And I want to be a part of what God is doing right now. And so when we talk about getting back to the old, the old wasn't working. Why do we want to go back to something where when the studies are concluded, the metrics of the spiritual life of people in the church mirror those outside of the church? Why would we want to go back to that? Now, I'm not saying everything is bad, but I'm saying I want to be a part of what God is doing now to seek and to save the lost, to really make disciples. And I want to be a part of reimagining First Baptist Church Liberty City around the mission that Christ has sent us on. The mission is this, go and make disciples. My job as a pastor is to preach the book of Acts, and pray, to preach and pray, that's the book of Acts, Ephesians, to equip the saints, and in Paul's letter to Timothy, to do the work of an evangelist. That's my job, okay? So I want to equip you, I want to help you become a greater disciple of Christ, and for you to go out and make disciples. And what we need to do is, in the way that we use our facilities, the way that we spend our budget, the way that we staff, all of that must be filtered through the mission of going and making disciples. Can I get an amen? All that we do needs to be filtered through the mission. What has happened in the church leading up to this point is we have lost the mission, and it is evidenced by the fact that believers fight over the most ridiculous things, and churches split over the most ridiculous things because we're not about the mission we're about a country club mindset of I need my needs met. And that's why the church doesn't look any different than the world when the studies come in. And you're like, well, that's a heavy hand right at the beginning. Well, I like to deal in reality. So let's start with the reality first. And let's find the hope that is in Christ. Because here's, here's the beginning of the hope. The church is still God's plan for the world. No matter how bad of a mess we're in, the church is still God's hope in the midst of the world. The local church is still the light in the world. The local church is still the institution that God has put on this earth and organ 
an organism, not an organization, that the life of Christ, the body of Christ, that we might make the glory of Christ known. That hasn't changed. God is still desiring to do that. So if we will return to the Lord with all of our hearts, our souls, and minds, and strength, we will receive a fresh word from Him. We will receive renewal from Him because He still has a purpose for us. He still has a plan for us. We are still the hope that He has put here in the midst of this world. So let's look at our passage today, and let's talk about the church reimagined, Liberty City reimagined. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. You know, this is kind of where I feel like I'm at in a little bit. I love the church, and the longer I've been here in East Texas, man, I love, I love you. I love our people. I love our church. But, you know, I, think, I keep thinking of the movie and the book series, The Lord of the Rings. There's a character, Gandalf the Grey. Gandalf... He dies defending his company from this ancient demon, this fireball of a demon. And he falls down into this pit fighting this demon, saving the rest of his company. And then Gandalf comes back to life, and he's Gandalf the White. And he goes to the horse country to save Theodrin, who's, who's, who's over uh, the horse people. And Thadrin's, his mind's been poisoned by, by evil, and, and he needs to be freed. And Gandalf shows up, and, and people try to oppose Gandalf. Gandalf's mission is to free the king. And Gandalf says, I have not passed through fire to mix words with you. I'm on a mission. My friends, I did not surrender to the gospel of Jesus Christ and endure transitioning after a pastor who had been 32 years here, and everything that came with that, I did not endure the fire to play church. I am here to keep First Baptist Church, Liberty City, on task of going and making disciples. And if you don't want to be a part of that, you probably need to find another church, because that's what we're going to do. We're going to go, and we're going to make disciples. And isn't that exciting? Don't you want to be a part of that? I have not passed through the fire to play games. We're going to go and make disciples. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to get a little bit of a context here as we get into chapter 2. Colossians 1, 24, Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Paul saying, I'm rejoicing even in my sufferings because it's benefiting you. The mystery which has been hidden from ages, from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, to them God willed to make known what are his riches of his glory, of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Church, we're still the hope of this world. We, we still bring the glory of Christ to this world. Him we preached, warning every man and teaching every man. See, there's, there's sometimes we just got to get things straightened out in all wisdom, when we present every man perfect in Christ, we need to make disciples. To this end, I also labor striving. The Greek word there, we get our word agonizing from. Paul is striving in agony. He's pouring himself out in this work according to his working, which works in me mightily. Now, chapter 2, verse 1, for I want you to know what a great conflict. It is the same 
word, just a different form here. Again, agony. What great agony, what great striving I have for you. And those in Laodicea, for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. What a great verse. Paul, in verse 29 of chapter 1 and chapter 2, verse 1, he twice is speaking of how he is agonizing over the church. You know what's interesting is he had not met the majority of the church at Colossae, but he agonized over seeing them grow up in Christ. What an amazing burden. He, he we, as best we could tell, met some of them when he was in Ephesus, but he had never been to Colossae. He says, I don't even know y'all, but I am so burdened for you, and I'm burdened for you because you're a part of the body of Christ. You're a brother and sister in Christ, and that's enough. I care about you just because we're a part of the same body with the same head who is Jesus Christ. Paul has this great burden for this church that he hasn't even met. Man, that's convicting. I don't know about you, but to me, it sure is. It brings us to our first point today. Number one, to belong to the body of Christ is to experience the joys and the burdens of the body. Jesus is the head. As we believe in him, we become a part of his body. He directs. He gives us leaders within the local church, but he's the head. And as we're a part of the body, we experience the joys and the burdens. Paul's saying, I'm rejoicing with you, but I'm also I'm so burdened for you. But, you know, some of you may think, well, I don't, I don't know that I really have that burden. That's not really natural to me. I don't, you know, I've got so much going on in my own life, it's hard for me to even think about what other people are going through. How, how do I gain a burden, a real burden for the body of Christ? Well, look at Philippians 2 for just a minute. If you're in Colossians, it's just an easy turn a little bit in your Bible. I just went too far. A little bit to the left there, Philippians chapter 2 passage that you're familiar with, but I know I'll spend the rest of my life trying to live it. I don't know how to exhaust Philippians 2. I mean, it's, it's so deep. Philippians 2, how do we get this burden for one another? Well, look at Philippians 2 verse 1, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let's just try to do that. That's enough, right? Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. When you have a difference of an opinion with somebody else, especially a believer, do you even try to figure out where they're coming from, or do you just attack, get defensive? Try to defend your own. Let each one esteem others better than himself. We either do that or we don't. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. That's the key. See, how do we do that? How do we live in such a way where I'm really caring about what's going on with you, where I really have a burden for you? Well, I look to Jesus. It's no secret. I have the mind that Christ had towards me, Christ considered me. Christ died for me. And as I allow the mind of Christ to overtake me, then I'll think that way towards 
his body. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Look, Christ considered me, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We know that great glory part, but it began with what? Humility. And as I look to my Savior, who humbled himself, then I will gain humility which gives me that burden for my brothers and sisters. It moves me beyond thinking about myself and experiencing the burden of others. Paul, look at Romans 12, one more passage. Paul had this same mindset in Romans 12, verses 15 through 18. Just flip a little bit more to the left in your Bible. We'll come to Romans. Romans 12, 15 through 18. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. In other words, look. Have a heart for one another. Be of the same mind towards one another. There it is again. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Satan loves it when we live in rebellion against God's word. Satan loves it when we don't love one another, when we don't consider one another. Satan loves it when we puff up our chest, when we have to have our way. Satan loves it. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. See, Paul is talking about having a great burden for one another. And it reminds me of a a story about the Native Americans, um, especially in North America, the Plains Indians, uh, way, way back when. Some over 100 years ago, the Plains Indians in North America uh, had something called counting coup, uh, C-O-U-P. And what it was is as they rode into battle, if, if you were the first Indian that uh, maybe touched an uh, a enemy and killed that enemy or you broke through their defenses, then that was considered an act of bravery. That was something to be noted. So they would ride into battle, and then they would, they'd come back to camp, and they would count coup. They would say, well, you know, so-and-so did this, and so-and-so did that, and this person was the first in to break through enemy lines. And, and so they would talk about these acts of bravery, and they would mark down their acts of bravery. And they, well, they would do it, the way they would do it is maybe they had a staff that they counted coup on, and they'd get marks on it. Some they would tie eagle's feathers to it. Some they had these bands that they would put on their arms But the whole point of it was they went into battle, they came out, they got their marks showing how brave they were, and they walked around showing everyone, hey, count my coop. See what I have done. I'm hot stuff, don't you know? Look at how brave I have been. Where would y'all be without me? They counted coop, kept track. Man, that sounds sadly like too many squabbles that I have seen take place in churches over the years. When God's already told us, look to one another, humble yourself, 
Consider others better than yourself. Look to their interests. I mean, we've already been told that, so the discussion should be, like, closed, right? It, it is. But we have to allow God to do that work in our heart to humble us and to give us a burden for one another because you know what? We're not the only ones that this depends on. The world is waiting to see a church that lives that way. That's our greatest testimony to the glory of God is our unity. Francis Schaeffer, in his great work, The Mark of a Christian, he was commentating on in the Gospel of John where Jesus is recorded as saying that all men will know you're my disciples by your love, by your love for one another, the world will know you're my disciples. So what Francis Schaeffer said in The Mark of a Christian was that Jesus gave the world the right to judge us whether or not we're Christians by the way we treat one another. The world will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. To belong to the body of Christ is to experience the joys and the burdens of Christ. And the, way, the reason I'm pushing this so hard is because the, the world that we've grown up in, you have been brainwashed to think individualistic. I mean, the world has taught you to live for you, to live for the now, to step on whoever you have to step on to get ahead. And the system of the world that you've been raised in is counter-Christian. But thank goodness for the Holy Spirit that God gives us, that can transform us and redeem us and help us to actually know the life of Christ through us, to live so different that the world goes, what in the world? Why would you do that? You see, this unity just isn't only for us, it's as our testimony to the world. And what happens is during COVID, there's all this tension and all these emotions that come up. And what we need to do is we need to be asking God, what are you doing in my heart individually? And what are you reimagining for your church? You know, it's kind of the old um, idiom of, you know, if you knock something over or you, somebody's holding a cup of coffee and you bump their arm and they're going to spill coffee out of their cup, right? Now, why did they not spill tea out of their cup when you bump their arm? Well, because their cup was filled with coffee. That's why they didn't spill tea. Okay? Yeah. Uh, figure that out. Okay? Now, COVID. We're being shaken. We're being shaken. What's coming out? If hatred and bitterness is coming out of you, it's not somebody else's fault. It's because that's what was already in the cup. And so what God is doing is through the shaking is he is dealing with what is going on in our hearts as individuals, and how that relates to one another. To belong to the body of Christ is experience the joys and the burdens of the body. And that's, again, why I'm convinced that we need to at least explore these home groups where we're getting together in smaller groups where we can be open and honest and discuss things and grow together in Jesus Christ, build relationships around God's Word. But let's continue on our passage, Colossians chapter 2. We're just going to do two more verses. Y'all are like, whew, good, I can't take much more. But, hey, I'll tell you, you get it on Sunday morning, I have to live with it all week. I open up God's Word, and He works me over all week long. You get about 35 minutes of what God's been doing to me all week. So I don't feel sorry for you at all, okay? So I'm in this, we are in this together. Any finger pointed out means there's, what, at least three, four more pointed back at me, Right? All right? I don't know how many fingers I have on my hand, but there's a bunch there. 
So Colossians chapter 2, look, look at verse 2. That the hearts may be encouraged. Paul's burden, he's agonizing for them for two things. The first thing is that the heart may be encouraged, being knitted together in love, and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Paul, he's agonizing, he's laboring, and there's two main things that he wants in these verses for them. The first thing is that they might be encouraged. He just wants them encouraged. But he ties the encouragement with their hearts being knitted together in love. That really a better translation would be he's burdened that as their hearts are knitted together, they would be encouraged. That's really a better translation. And then that they would understand all the richness of the wisdom of God that's found in Jesus. He wants them to know the richness of Jesus and as they are knit together in love to encourage one another. That's what he's burdened for. Man, that's a great thing. And I can get in line with that and say, yes, I want that for my life. I want that for our church. And so that brings us to our second point, which is this. The body of Christ needs love that encourages one another. The body of Christ needs love that encourages one another. You know, love is, is action. Love is known by what it does. And I remember at our previous church, uh, Katie was working, and I'm working, and I'm in a Ph.D. program, and we're having kids, and we had several deaths in our family. It was just a, it was a difficult season there. And I had a, a youth worker, Cindy Sefka, called her Mama Sefka. And, in fact, they've come about once a year. They come and visit us here still at this church, come to service and come have lunch with us. And she just started doing things. Nobody asked her to. I didn't ask her for anything. She, she and her husband, they have a timeshare here in Tyler. And that's usually they'll come stay in their timeshare in Tyler and come see us. They shared their timeshare with us one year. They said, y'all just need to get away. Y'all go stay in the timeshare. That was such a huge blessing. She'd do things like, you and Katie need a date night. I'm coming over and bringing the kids dinner. Y'all plan to go out. She'd do that. She, she helped serve as a cook at, at youth camp. And she was just always there serving, always there investing, just doing little things that showed that she loved us. And I cannot even begin to tell you over the years, those little acts of kindness, those, I'm coming over tonight. Y'all need a date night. I, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I can't tell you how that encouraged our hearts how that strengthened our hearts. And you know how that is when somebody's done something for you and you just go, wow, thank you. That was Paul's desire for the church, is that their hearts be knit together in love. That, that term knit together has to do with like ropes that are braided. They're so much more strong when they're knit together. Satan loves for us to be individualistic, loves for us to be divided. He doesn't want us to know the unity, the strength that comes in the unity of being knit together in love because what happens is we'll all be encouraged by that. And that as we come together in love, we encourage one another. And we need that. You were made for that. But the second thing that Paul desires for them that we've already read, and I'm going to wrap up soon here, is that the body of Christ needs the assurance that Christ is enough. We need the assurance that Christ is enough. See, we're living, especially right now, in a world where there's, there's a lot going on that's difficult to navigate, to know what to do. There's a lot of things coming at us. Is Christ really sufficient? As I walk with Jesus, do I really have everything that I need? Yes. 
And, and also this, this heresy, this false notion that Christ isn't enough, that's, that's always been around. As, as, long as, as soon as Christ revealed himself, there, were, there was the lie that he wouldn't be enough, right? And Paul's having to address that to the church at Colossae, saying, look, Christ is all. You need to plunge deeper into your knowledge of Christ and who he is. One of the modern-day heresies of this is, is Mormonism. And I'm not saying this to try to get a soundbite or make a political statement. But their tagline is, well, yes, we believe the Bible, but God's also given us this other book. The other book, which I've read because I did a master's in evangelism and I studied these different things, this other book says that Christ is a created being, that Christ is brothers with Satan. And as you continue to read it, it's just heresy after heresy after heresy. You can't actually believe the Bible and the Book of Mormon. They're opposed. But what Mormonism teaches is, oh, yeah, we believe the Bible. But there's also this other knowledge that if you know and you believe, that's really what's important. You see, it's still going on today. It just tapes different shapes. It just takes different sizes. And that is why discipleship is so important. That is why we don't need to just win people to Christ, but we need to teach them about Christ and see them grow in Christ, see them develop in Christ. There was a young man at a, at a church I served at years and years ago. Spent a lot of time uh, investing in him. And would pick him up. He was deeply troubled, at a deeply troubled home, on the verge of going to juvie. The police actually contacted me said, if we get called to his house again, we're going to have to take him away. And I spent a lot of time investing in him. And he came to put his faith in Christ. It was awesome. And it took a lot of time. He had no idea who Jesus was. Took teaching, loving, and showing him, and investing in him. But around the time that he put his faith in Christ, I had to, God called me to go plant a church. I left that church and went to plant a church. And I told the youth workers, do not let him slip through the cracks. You know the time that we've put into him. Continue to disciple him. See him get baptized. Do not let him fall through the cracks. What happened? Fell through the cracks. I went back a year later to a football game to see some old friends. And everybody there called me PM. And this young man came running up to me. He was so excited. He said, PM, guess what? I said, what? He said, I'm a Mormon now. My heart was crushed because I had poured this foundation and they hadn't continued on it. The church had not discipled him. And so someone else came in and taught him another way. Now, I hold on to the fact that he had the truth. So at some point, by God's grace, that truth will win out. But again, this was before the age of multimedia. This was like when... MySpace was barely going. There, there weren't all the ways to connect with people like we do nowadays. But you see, the need for discipleship was made crystal clear to me in that moment. To take people, to be in community, to love people, to engage in our lives with one another, to share in the joys that we all have, to share in the burdens that we have, and to understand that Christ really is enough. There's nothing else that I need that I can stake all of my life upon him. I can put all of my weight upon him, and he will not fail me. And you know the way that you have that assurance is by doing it. You will not know that Christ is enough if you do not 
step out and rely wholly upon him. You can't know it from a distance. But as you put the full weight of your life upon him, you will find the assurance that he is enough. So to bring my message today to a close, church, I'm really excited about what God has in store for us. Because we are still the hope that he has put here in this world, the local church. God is fulfilling his mission through the church. And he doesn't want us to look like the rest of the world. So there is a shaking happening right now. And it is a shaking where we, instead of turning on one another, instead of trying to get back to an old norm that really wasn't producing disciples large scale anyways, we need to say, you're king, we're not, what are you doing now? And we want to get excited about that. The church needs to go from becoming an overweight barge that can't turn to a lean, mean fighting machine that is so focused on Jesus that when he says to the left, we immediately go to the left. When he says to the right, we go to the right. When he says stop, we stop. When he says go, we go. Because we are so focused on him. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, that's where you're your journey needs to begin is by turning from your way and saying, I, I don't understand all this, but I know I need it. By faith, you can say, I believe that there is a God who has died in my place for my sins. His name is Jesus Christ. And I trust in this Jesus to forgive me of my sins, to fill me with his spirit, to help me to live the life that he made me to live. Or maybe as I've been preaching, you just realize, man, life's, life's got me. Satan's gotten some good ones in on me. And I need to get back to that walk of humility by God's grace and, and sharing that burden for my brothers and sisters and being an agent of encouragement and unity building that the world will see and want to know. I'm going to close this just in a, in a time of, of prayer. And I'm going to invite you. I'm going to close my eyes and, and bow my head just as ways of focusing myself in. I invite you, if you choose to do so, do that with me, just to focus in on God's presence. And, and if you've never put your faith in Christ to be saved, a, a prayer does not save you. Faith in Christ saves you. Jesus saves you. If you call out to him, he will answer you. And if you realize that today is your day that you need Jesus, just tell him what's in your heart. Tell him, dear God, I, I, I need you. I confess that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I can't keep going the way I've been going. I believe Jesus died for my sins in my place. And I ask you, Heavenly Father, to forgive me of my sins because of Jesus. Fill me with your Spirit. Help me to live for you from this moment forward. I believe in you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving my soul. And maybe you're here today and you just you realize, man, maybe you're really struggling with things are out of routine and my cup's being shaken and I don't like it. I just need some stability. Well, his name is Jesus. So maybe today we need to afresh and anew as a local body of Christ, as a local church, say, Jesus, help us. Help us, Lord Jesus. 
to learn to stand on the rock. Because when we're standing on you and your word, it doesn't matter what else around us is shaking. It really doesn't. Help us to be so sold out and committed to standing firmly on you. Lord, that we can be excited even about change. Because it's what you're doing. It's what you're doing. Thank you that you're on the throne. Thank you that you are for us, not against us. Thank you that you have a purpose and a plan even in the midst of difficulty. Thank you that you love us and there's nothing that can separate us from your love. Thank you that we are in your hand and nobody can pluck us from your hand. Thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you that the power that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in us who believe. Thank you that we have hope, hope, hope in you. Help us to have eyes to see. Help us to have ears to hear. Help us to have wills that are quick to obey, to follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.